Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, I'm former Buffalo Bills wide receiver Don Beebe, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Because nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Welcome to the first off-season episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us. We have an incredible guest on this episode. If you're a 90s kid like me, you grew up watching Jim Kelly and the K-Gun offense. Or if you're younger than me, uh, you've at least heard legends of this offensive scoring juggernaut. Well, I had the privilege of talking with John Davis, the guard and one of the anchors of the offensive line in that era that was part of all four Super Bowls with the Buffalo Bills. We talk about suffering huge loss in the playoffs and Super Bowls, finding the motivation to pick yourself up dust yourself off and make a run the next season we talk about being at a super bowl how it felt in that period of time as a young player the similarities between the current bills coaching staff and roster and the ones john had during his tenure and we talk about his post-career life as well so without further ado former bills garden legend john davis he is a former offensive guard of the Buffalo Bills, a former 11th round pick of Houston in 1987 out of Georgia Tech. He was with the Bills from 1989 to 1994 and an important part of the offensive line through all four Super Bowls and won the NFL's Ed Block Courage Award in 1993, an award given to honor one player from each NFL team who, in the eyes of his teammates, exemplifies a commitment to sportsmanship and courage. We'd like to welcome John Davis to the podcast. John, it is so good to finally talk to you. How are you? I know we've been aiming for this since October, but uh, thanks for your patience, and I'm uh, I'm happy to be with you. Hey, this is a good time to get you. I mean, you know, the season ended. You know, you're a busy guy. I understand. And uh, let's start off in talking about the playoff loss last week. Now, last week's AFC Championship loss to the Chiefs was heartbreaking for fans and also for Bills players. Uh, you can see it in the photos. Stephon Diggs stayed on the field to see the AFC Championship, uh, AFC Champion Chiefs get presented the Lamar Hunt Trophy. Um, it was a very emotional image. You've been to Super Bowls, but you were also with Buffalo for a season where you didn't make the Super Bowl. Um, 
for example, your first season in 1989, when the Bills lost to the Browns in the divisional round, first let me ask you if you remember how you felt following that loss. Yeah, you know, I didn't play a whole lot that season for the Bills, but, yeah, you know, any loss is hard, especially the last one of the season. Um, you know, I just remember that – I remember the team from the year before because I played for Houston and, and we – Lost to Buffalo, uh, I believe it was on New Year's Day. Uh, one of, I think it's Buffalo's first home playoff game that they had had there in, in quite some time. And, uh, you know, but I remember going to the Browns knowing that, you know, what type of team we had and the breaks didn't go away. And I think what you do is that you kind of get an idea of what after the season, uh, going into the offseason, you get some type of idea of what kind of nucleus and camaraderie you have on that team. And, uh, did, you, you know, you had an idea that we were going to be a very good football team, but we didn't really know until we got to training camp uh, for the 90 season. Because the next season you did go to the Super Bowl. I mean, how do you, how do you take those feelings of disappointment and turn them into motivation or is that I, something like, I mean, how, how do you get to that point? I, I have to credit, I have to credit the organization, uh, but I also credit the players. I, I credit Jim Kelly, Kent Hull, uh, Will Wolford, Daryl Talley, you know, Bruce Smith, all of those guys, Andre Reed, because they're the ones that kind of set the tone at training camp in 90. And you could just kind of feel it that, you know, uh, we, we can be special if we do this, this, and this. And, uh, and we made a commitment to each other to do that. And, you know, we lost a couple of key players after the, uh, the Browns loss, but we gained some players. And, uh, you know, it was just a matter of we know how good we are in order to make it to, um, our goal of the Super Bowl. This is what we have to do. And everybody bought in. Wow. And that's and I, and that's the most important thing. And that happened for four straight years. You know, it happens every year, but it happened. You know, it just so happened that that those four year, years that, you know, we were determined and understood and we were friends and uh, not only teammates, but we were friends and we trusted each other. And uh, and I think that's the most important thing. And that's what I see with this team. Uh, not, but I know we might talk about it later, but while it's on my mind, the reason why I've liked this team the last two or three years is because, one, they want to stay in Buffalo. To me, it seems like that they genuinely want to stay there. And in order to, uh, in order to understand Buffalo, you've got to get out and meet these people. You have to get out and break bread with them, have a drink with them, and understand the passion that they have as fans for God, what, 60 years plus. And, uh, and then once you do that, and once the fans know that you buy into not only the bills, but if you buy into the community, man, they'll jump on your bandwagon in a heartbeat and they'll be a fan for life. And that's the way I've always felt about Buffalo. Wow. Wow. Great. Well, let's, let's, let's go into that. I mean, you were released from the Oilers before the 1989 season when the bills signed you and you were, and here you are, you know, a young man who grew up in Georgia, was got drafted in Houston, and then moved to Buffalo, New York, of all places. I mean, what ran through your mind as you made that move? Well, all I wanted to know, all I wanted to do is, is play. You know, in the back of my mind, I had to find a fit for me 
And uh, I did not like Houston. I made some great teammates uh, and loved my offensive line out there, but I, I hated Jerry Glanville. I wanted to get the hell out of there. And ultimately, after you know visiting seven or eight teams, it came down between Buffalo and Detroit. And and I'm not kidding when I say this. I called my wife from the Buffalo airport after a meeting with the Bills, and I said, Hester, it's six inches of snow on the ground. It's coming down unbelievable uh, in Buffalo, or we can go to Detroit where being a smart aleck, I was like, you know, they're a bunch of cars, you know, just known for, you know, automobiles yep. and stuff. And uh, she basically said, what the hell? Let's let's go to Buffalo, and I, it came to be the the best uh, decision that we ever made. Yeah, that was that was an amazing decision. Looking back, especially with your career there. Now the Super Bowl is coming up uh, in the next week, and we talked about you know Super Bowl games. Um, what is it like as a young player getting ready to play in the biggest game on earth on the biggest stage on earth? Well, you know, obviously you can get caught up in it. Uh, we had played a great game against the Raiders the week before. Uh, again, we knew that we were a good football team. We had beaten the Giants. Uh, uh, actually, I was watching that game today while I was on the treadmill, believe it or not. Uh, and, I mean, we, we weren't overconfident, but we knew that we had to finish the job. Uh, but I just think, I just think we might have gotten maybe a little overwhelmed, not not cocky or anything like that. I think we might have got a little overwhelmed uh, saying, you know, damn, we're here. You know, we just got to keep her cool about us. And, and I think I think we did that for the most part. You know, that's one of the greatest Super Bowls ever played. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, we didn't come out on top. But I, I think it set the groundwork for the next few years. When you look at, at the Super Bowls, in particular that one, because it was so close and because you guys had literally just, you know, uh, destroyed the Raiders 51 to three, you know, leading into the into the Super Bowl from the AFC championship. Um, I mean, was it more of it was just bad luck? It was some bad bounces or were, was the coaching for the Giants? They they just they were the only ones that were able to figure out your offense all season long. Well, I, I, I'm not so sure they figured our offense out because we moved the ball. Um, I, I just think that it was in key situations. There might have been a mistake here or a mistake here. I, I think I had a holding penalty. Um, I want to say it was in the first or second quarter that stopped a drive, dropped a pass, you know, uh, missed the block. You know, it's just one of those things that where it catches up. And, and the Giants had a great game plan on offense. You know, they, they, Attack their our our defense, uh, which you know uh, I thought was a great defense, and they just attacked them, and they got a they they got more breaks than we did, and um, you know you got a third and eighteen, and they get nineteen, or they got a third and twelve, and they get thirteen, you know, and mm-hmm. so I just think it was one of those days to where you know not not dismissing how good they were, I just think it was one of those days to where they got more breaks than we did. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So, looking- do, do, do I do I think they were better than us? No, I don't think they were better than us. And I've had a lot of people say the same thing. But you know that football's not round for a reason. You know it takes funny bounces and does funny things. And I just think on that day, you know, it, it bounced their way more than it did ours. It's one of those situations where if you play them ten times, maybe you beat them nine out of ten times. 
I, I would I would say you know I would say eight or nine times uh, uh, out of ten, but and that's I think that's the way we all honestly felt. It was a tough game. The one the game in the Meadowlands in December was a tough game, but we came out on top because we had breaks that went our way. Mm-hmm. Jim Kelly got hurt in the second quarter. Guess who steps up? Frank Wright. Will Wolford gets hurt in the fourth or the second quarter. Guess who steps up? Glenn Parker. You know, so, you know, breaks went our way. And so that's just, you know, that's just the way it seemed to uh, to go. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, we talked about the first Super Bowl being closest one. Um, you know, looking back at, the, at those Super Bowls, you know, you obviously went into the first one thinking that, you know, you would definitely win or you would have a good chance. You felt confident going after that AFC championship game. I mean, as, as the years went by and you guys continued to go to them, did, was there any less doubt? The more you went, you know, you lost one. Okay. You lost two. You lost three. Was it like, oh man, like this, this is because, because I could see personally like where you might lose maybe not confidence, but, but maybe not be as confident as you would be, you know, the first time around. No, no. The trust me, the confidence was there. We, we, we knew we had the team to do it. Uh, but we just, we, we couldn't, we couldn't finish the job, you know, and, and I think we all, as we get to see each other, whether it's at Jim's tournament or, uh, alumni weekend and, uh, you know, we get to reminiscing about it. It's just one of those things to where, you know, there are no regrets. We, we did everything we possibly could do, uh, but it just, it didn't go our way. And, uh, that's just, you know, that's just one of the things that we're going to have to live with for the rest of our lives. But, you know, there's not one of us that I can talk to that aren't proud of the accomplishments that we did over that four-year period. Yeah, I don't think it gets stated enough how, um, and I don't mean this in a flippant way, but how good you have to be to lose four Super Bowls and the fact that you have to be as good to get there. And people don't realize that. They only see the end result not realizing how great you all were for a stretch of time, which is almost unparalleled. And and I think you're seeing that, Nate, more as we get older. I think people are looking back and saying, damn, you know, they're good. They were good. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they didn't win a Super Bowl, but there's not been another team do what we did. And uh, and I think we're finally getting the respect. Uh, yeah, it might be 30 years later. I think what yesterday or the next Super Bowl is going to be our 27th anniversary from our last one or something like that. I'm not mm-hmm. for sure, but. Um, but people bring it up and say, you know, hats off to these guys. I don't think we realized at the time that it was that big of a deal as it is now. And, uh, and that, that kind of makes you feel, you know, better about the, the whole situation. But, um, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, you still have your tough days. You know, so, hey, look, Sunday, Sunday night hurt, you know, and I think it hurts. Uh, the, uh, the retired players, uh, maybe not as much, but it still hurts us to see, um, you know, our, our team lose and, and we feel, we feel for those guys. But on the other hand, uh, Buffalo's got a good team and, uh, and I have no doubt that they've got the nucleus to make a strong run in the next few years. So when you look at this current Bills team, the 2020 season in general, I mean, what are your thoughts on, you know, the coaching, have you liked what McDermott and Brandon Bean have put together, the players that have put in place? I mean, you said you think they remind you a little bit of, you know, the teams that you were involved with. I mean, is this, is this the closest it's felt like to your nineties teams? Uh, 
to, to, to me it does and, and trust me I'm no expert on the uh, on the coaches and the and uh, bean and and what they're doing it just feels different when I come back into town uh, I've had a com uh, a conversation I think I, I can't for, I, for, I forget who it was I was wanting to say it was with Eric Woods and and he had signed to come back to Atlanta uh, I guess it or to Buffalo for his last contract and I told them how much I appreciated him embracing the town because he probably could have gone elsewhere but he made a decision on how much he loved the buffalo and the fans in the area that he came back and i kind of felt that when i had that conversation with him um i kind of felt that you know this thing's turning around there's 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 been an attitude shift uh in the players that i saw at the golf tournament or you know at jim's gala or you know the legends uh when we get together, we get to interact with them a little bit. And I could kind of tell the last couple of years that the, the, the tides kind of shifted to where they, uh, the, the camaraderie of these guys. And, and I credit, listen, I credit a lot of that to people like Steve Tasker and Jim Kelly and, and Lou Picone and, uh, uh, guys that have stayed in the Buffalo area, Jeff Nixon, guys that have stayed in the Buffalo area and I have a, you know, I, I have a sense that they've, they've talked to those guys and, uh, and, and kind of said, look, you know, you've got a, a great opportunity if you stay here. Uh, and as we talked about earlier, you know, you embrace Buffalo, Buffalo will embrace you. And I can tell you what, I've been gone since 95. And when I come up to Buffalo during the times that I get to, I have never in my life felt more welcomed. Uh, when I get off the airplane, people recognize me off the airplane. They recognize me when I go out to my gin mills with my friends and, and, and see old friends like that. And, and that's a great feeling. And it, it, to me, it feels like, you know, I did leave a little bit of a positive impact on the community that I love so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's good to know that. In a weird way, I mean, you mentioned, you know, Kelly and Tasker and the guys that stuck around in the area. I mean, your friendships with them, with going to, you know, Jim's golf tournament and just in general, do you think in like a weird way, the success of the team currently has kind of helped your relationships with these guys? Because it's, I mean, it's more fun to talk about your former team when they're actually doing well. Yeah, no, and it does. I mean, you know, we're getting on up there and, uh, you know, every year is precious when we come up there because, you know, if a guy's not feeling well and couldn't make it and stuff, you know, you start worrying about each other. But I think it just helps us. Uh, uh, I just think it helps us just hang on to each other a little bit more. And I, you know, I don't have the relationships that, you know, Daryl and Bruce and Steve and Jim and those guys, Andre and those guys have, but I have my individual relationships with those guys, uh, that, uh, that I very much look forward to hearing from, whether it's once a week or once a month and some of them once a year, you know, that mm -hmm. I get to see them. So, but seeing the team be successful definitely makes it. Um, a lot, a lot happier vibes. Mm -hmm. That's so good to see. I know, I know that this last year, Josh Allen broke all of Jim Kelly's passing records, which, you know, like you mentioned, it's been like 27, 28 years since that's happened. Um, that it's more of a positive thing for the former Bills. You know, like I, I always think of the 72 Dolphins and how they pop champagne every time the last undefeated team loses in the NFL because they want to be the only team that ever went undefeated. And I always kind of think my, at least personally, like how petty that is, but to see you guys um, embrace something. And even though they might be 
you know, they could win a Super Bowl. And it sounds like, you know, if they if they did something that you guys weren't able to do, you'd still be happy for them and you'd still be rooting them on, you know, as 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 a positive instead of like, oh, I can't believe they did it. You know, it's, it's just that's that's kind of a, of a great thing to see. I think that speaks to your to your relationship with the city and, and as teammates. No, nobody. Look, nobody would be happier. I had 30 people out by my fire pit. I went up to my old dive bar for about uh, the first half because I was promoting uh, some barbecue that I'm going to sell. And uh, I came back home and right behind my uh, to the side of my house, you know, they have the uh, the the high wires, the uh, uh, I forget what you call them, but there's a little opening out there. And I had 30 people out there and, and I converted them all to Bills fans. And uh, no, nobody wants to see Buffalo succeed like I do. And as far as the records go, you know, Jim. Jim doesn't care about records. You know, Jim, Jim cares about winning and he, he cares about the guys going out there and putting a good product on the team and representing the city well. Uh, and he knows that the wins will come. And I'm, I'm sure that there wasn't anybody more happy, uh, than Jim when, uh, Josh, uh, broke the records that he did. And, and, and I see a lot of Jim and Josh. I just see, by you know, you can look at a kid in his face and just kind of have an idea of what's in the back of his mind. And uh, uh, I, I think I think the kid did a great job this year. And I just I, I, I like I said, I, Kansas City hurts, but I think you know instead of sticking your head in the sand or being sullen about it, I think they're going to start to work. They're going to take a month or two off, heal up their bodies, and then they're going to get back to work. And and that's what. That's what you got to do, and uh, and I think that they have that mature makeup about them that uh, is going to make the next few years a lot more exciting for us. Yeah, great. So, I mean, I have to ask you now about your life after football. Since you retired from professional football in 1994, I know you came up for a few years ago to lead the charge for the Bills-Texans game. Um, you know, you're still involved, like you said, it, it, coming up to Buffalo at least once a year. I mean, what are you up to nowadays and, and what keeps you busy? I, you know, I am uh, just just the other day, I decided that uh, I'm going to kind of be semi-retired. Um, I uh, I grew up in the restaurant business uh, with my parents uh, up in LJ where I was born and raised. And uh my brother and I are going to start dabbling a little bit in barbecue and uh, do some smoked uh, meats. And uh, my wife, uh, my wife is working and she does very well. And uh, she came to me one day and she's like, you know what? I want to get to the point to where you can finally stop what you're doing and do what you love. You know, I've, I've been in sales since I left uh, uh, in 95 and, uh, I'm, I'm ready to work for myself and I'm um, doing something that I enjoy and I get to include my brother with it. And I just cut a deal with a restaurant down the road from me that we're going to provide some barbecue and some corned beef and some stuff like that to them. And uh, so it's uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finally starting to be able to enjoy that. Oh, great. Great. Now, I know you also do some work with uh, the Georgia Mountain Hospice. It's a, an organization that you started with your wife. Could you talk a little bit about, about that and how you got into it? Well, you know, in 19, uh, my, my, my grandmother had Alzheimer's, dementia, and, uh, and uh, I saw my mom's health just declining, having to take care of her 24-7. And I went up to a good friend of mine, Gina Penley. Uh, at a, uh, I think at the time it was called North Georgia Health, uh, Home Health uh, Department. 
And I believe this was 92. And I said, Gina, what can I do for you? What can Hester and I do for you that you really need? And she just said, we need a hospice. Uh, and, and I said, okay, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the vision. Talk about what you want me to do, how you want me to be a part of it. Um, and we did the very first year we raised close to $60,000 to give it seed money. Uh, and then, uh, this year, we, well, in October, we had our 28th tournament that put us over $900,000. Um, and then, uh, in, in June, we'll have our 29th tournament. But the, the thing that's so special about our North Georgia Mountains Hospice is that it's nonprofit. We turn no one away. Um, and, uh, and, and we charge no, we charge nothing. We, you know, we, we are there for them and the laws and the regulations have changed a lot with hospice care, but Gina has done a phenomenal job of staying on top of it. And, um, we just feel like it serves about a 13 county area. Uh, we've been, uh, the people have come in to try to buy us out and, and we're not interested because they want to be for profit. And, uh, I made the promise when we started this off that it will always be nonprofit, that we will not take one dime from anyone. Um, and, uh, and that's the way it's been. And so it's very close to my heart. Um, you know, my mother had dementia and passed away. Uh, unfortunately, she, you know, we weren't able to care for her because of the, 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 how, how fast that disease progresses. But, uh, we've had several family members that, that I have been able to, uh, assist, um, in their, in their final days. And, but just to see what these people do, uh, is just unbelievable. I mean, I couldn't do it, but, but to see what Gina and her team does is just absolutely unbelievable. And, and I'm, I'm going to, and I've made my kids, I said, look, when I'm gone, I said, this thing's going to keep going. And, uh, because this is one thing that we can give back to our community that would make the difference in a lot of people's lives. And, and it's, uh, you know, unfortunately I can't have celebrities at ours because we're, it's, it's, it's up in a small town. And, uh, actually I grew up in LJ and the, and the hospice is located in Jasper, a town south of us. And it's just hard for us to raise a lot of money to be able to have celebrities come up. But uh, I'm, I'm going to try to have a, a three or four guys come up for our 30th year uh, that live close in the area and, and uh, just bring them up and, uh, and be a part of it. You know, I wish I could raise Jim Kelly money, but uh, I can't. You know, mm -hmm. we average anywhere from 30 to 35,000 a year. Um, and some years we'll do a little bit better. Some years we'll do a little bit less. But, uh, you know, it's uh, the people. And I would say, you know, we'll sell out. We'll sell out a tournament. We'll sell out, you know, 36 teams. And out of those 36 teams, 30 of those teams have probably played in 25 or more of the tournaments. And uh, so the backing that we have, the support that we have is uh, is something that I'll always appreciate. Now, where can people find information about the Georgia Mountain Hospice if they want to donate or anything like that? They they can I, I believe the website's www.georgiamountainshospice. It has an S on it. dot com, and then I'm not for sure if it's on my website, which is www.therefrigeratormover.com. It's just a website that my daughter made for me, uh, kind of documenting my uh, days at Georgia Tech and 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 uh, in the NFL. Uh, 
I'm, I'm contemplating, uh, writing a blog and just, you know, getting on there since I'm going to have a little bit of free time, but I do speak in engagements. If it ever comes across, you know, I, uh, I, I help coach my boys in football in middle school. So I'm, uh, was active, uh, during that time. Uh, like I said, my oldest daughter uh, is an IBMer up in uh, Raleigh. And then my youngest daughter, who is a senior this year, Julia, she will, be um, be playing uh, beach volleyball for the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga in the fall. Um, and she's worked very hard for that. My oldest son, Harrison, played football at the Citadel, and uh, he lives over there now. And then my second son, John Henry III, um, is in college at a uh, college here in town called Kennesaw State, and uh, he's pursuing his finance degree. So, you know, we're, uh, we're almost empty nesters and, uh, it's, uh, but it's, uh, I'm enjoying it more and more every day. You know, I love, um, talking to people that do motivational speaking and work and speaking, do speaking engagements in general. I mean, without giving your speech away, I mean, what's the theme of these discussions and who is your tar- target audience or, or the people that you're looking to talk to? I think, well, you know, and Hester and I have talked about that because we've contemplated, not she doesn't want a part of it, you know, she would rather leave it to me, but I've contemplated writing a book because, you know, as good as everything seems on the outside uh, of an NFL football player, you do go through rough patches and, uh, and it's how you handle those rough patches to, it determines on, how you're going to raise your kids. And, and so my, you know, if I have an opportunity, I can talk to, uh, uh, go to a marriage counseling place and talk to, you know, couples. Uh, I can talk to, uh, college athletes. Um, that, you know, I find it harder and harder these days because the times have changed so much. And, and I don't want to make this sound like a, a bad thing, but in a way it is, is that, we're kind of dealing with a trophy generation uh, that I knew was going to hit 20 years ago. And uh, you have to te- talk to those kids differently. Uh, so each group you have to talk to, you know, you kind of got to gear your own story because some of them will just look at you like um, uh, uh, deer in the headlights. And then some of them are engaged. Some of them don't care. Uh, you know, some of them are like, get me the hell out of here. And then, you know, you'll have conversations with people at the end of your speech that you could tell that you hit on something that really touched them. So I, if, if, if I don't speak to, uh, groups, I, I tend to find times to where I can speak to individuals and just like at the bonfire the other night, uh, had a young man that goes to my daughter's high school and he came over and he asked me some advice on how to handle certain situation with coaches and, teachers and things like that so i try to i try to be open-minded of what they're going through 30 you know 30 years or 35 years after i got out of high school so i kind of just gear it towards you know who i'm speaking with and and i've had several conversations with you know married couples that will sit around the dinner table and talk and you know feel like that you're you're giving them real life advice instead of just you know, throwing something against the wall, hoping that it sticks. Wow, that's great. You know, I have uh, two children, one five and one two. And if I want them to end up like your children, where they're successful, they go to college, they they're working, they they get degrees, they're they're playing sports. I mean, is there is there something 
that you found in your time as a parent or, you know, in, in, in any facet of parenthood that, that you could give for people like me or people, you know, that are listening that either have small children or one day will have children. You mentioned it's a trophy generation. I mean, what, how, how would you recommend, you know, something like myself to, to, to keep my children on the right path? Well, and you know, saying what you're just saying, uh, Olivia's 30, Julia, uh, just turned 18. So I got a 12 year gap there and I've had to teach each one of my kids differently. But I think the one thing that Hester and I have done, uh, throughout raising them and, and trust me, we have not been perfect, but you know, we've done what we thought was the best way to handle certain situations is to be honest with them. Don't lie to them. Uh, and, and tell them, you know, you're going to have to work for this. Respect your elders, respect your teachers, respect your coaches. If you're going to play a sport, then you play it a hundred percent. And I've told Julia many times, you know, you don't have the right to yell at somebody on the court unless you're doing it a hundred percent yourself. So, you know, and it's just little things that you take to, to explain to kids to where, you know, you, you've got to clean your own house before you start trying to go and clean somebody else's. Um, and they seem to they seem to have taken I, I hope at least they've kind of taken it to heart because I've got four different kids and all of them are and, and I'm biased, but all of them are, you know, 100 percent perfect in my eyes. But but it was a lot of work. And I have to give my wife, Hester, a lot of credit because she stayed home during their formidable years of raising them while I was on the road selling. And she did a fantastic job with them. But when I would enter in, that I would take on a different role. But it was always a role that Hester and I would work together and to make sure that we were on the same page. You know, some things, some, the truth hurts, you know. And, and it's like I told my kids, I said, film, the film doesn't lie. You know, you can sit there and make any excuse you want to. But as soon as you turn the film on, it's going to show you exactly what you did. And uh, and they seem to they seem to take a hold of that. Um, well, you know, like I said, they're all four different. They're all, they were all four athletic. They're all four smart. Uh, but, and, and, and the personalities, I, I was, I, I think I, what we went up to my daughter's house in Raleigh for Christmas and, and, uh, all of them except for Harrison was there, but I was just kind of giggling in the back of my mind because just to listen to their opinions and ideas and thoughts come out of these kids, you know, I still call them kids. You know, it was just amazing. And, and it, it made me proud because I felt like that, you know, our, our hard work paid off. And now, you know, they're going to start to reap the, the rewards of their hard work moving on into the next phases of their life. Wow. That's, that's awesome, John. John, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on Circling the Wagons podcast. Where can they find you on social media? Social media. And I couldn't even tell you, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I don't do it as much as I used to, but, uh, and then Facebook, uh, I'm, I'm obviously on Facebook, uh, and then, uh, gosh, I, I haven't figured out this Instagram thing yet, which I'm, I was told that was pretty big. Uh, I <laughs> guess I need to learn something about that. And then, uh, I guess there's a new fad out called TikTok, TikTok. So I got to, if I'm going to promote this, uh, barbecue business, I need to figure out, uh, 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 what I need to do, but I'll, I'll get on your Twitter site and, and mm -hmm. throw you the handles and, uh, 
uh, so everybody can find out. But then, you know, that my, uh, I'm hopefully going to start having some more action on my uh, website, www.therefrigeratormover.com. Um, and uh, people will be able to find out more there. So the refrigeratormover.com, does that have anything to do with William Perry, the fridge? It, it does. Uh, uh, my sophomore year, uh, we had a big game at Georgia Tech. I was a sophomore, played center. I uh, was going to play against uh, William Perry. Uh, had a, uh, had, I, I did not think a good game, but there was a writer in the area with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution named Dave Kindred. Um, and uh, we ended up winning that game. And then the next morning, Dave came out. Um, in the paper, and uh, I, I forget the headline. It was something like the refrigerator mover uh, has been born, or something like that. <laughs> and uh, so that I can go to a Georgia Tech game today, and and I can honestly say that I don't think ninety percent of the people know who I am, but they know who the refrigerator mover is from <laughs> from grandparents to parents to kids. You know, I the grandparents would tell his kids, look. Uh, that's the refrigerator mover. And, you know, you'll sit there and sign autographs and tell stories. So that name has stuck with me uh, uh, ever since uh, 1984. And uh, so that's why my daughter wanted to go ahead and do the website uh, in honor of that, and, uh, and uh, which which I very much appreciate. Does, does, does William Perry know that that's your nickname as well? Uh, oh yeah, he does because we talked about it when we played each other in the NFL. He doesn't really like it, but uh, you know, I was I was fortunate enough with my with my two guards. I was fortunate enough to have a, a good game for a, what they considered a good game. I think I was Sports Illustrated Offensive Player of the Game that week, and uh, mm-hmm. so uh, I, I grade myself harder than than writers do, but. Uh, so it, it's uh, it, it was just a name that was born and, and it stuck with me ever since. And uh, and it's something that I appreciate and it makes me feel good because, uh, you know, I, I my my legacy at Georgia Tech is very secure. But it's always uh, it's always nice to go down there and be recognized uh, by the younger generations. Well, great. So the refrigerator mover dot com in your on your, your Twitter handle is at John Davis underscore sixty five on Twitter. So John, yep. Yep. I got it. I got it right in front of me. We appreciate, uh, sincerely appreciate you coming on and I'm so glad we could finally do this best of luck in the future. And we look forward to talking to you again sometime. Thank you so much. I, I do appreciate it. I, I, I miss Buffalo. I love Buffalo. I love the fans. I love the city. And, uh, I just, I can't wait to get back up there. Hopefully in the, in the summertime. <laughs> I want to thank John Davis for coming on and talking Buffalo Bills with us on the podcast. We're going to take a vacation this next week, so we won't be on for a couple of weeks. But um, I just wanted to discuss something really quick as far as what my personal rooting interests are for this upcoming Super Bowl with the Bucks versus the Chiefs. Very controversial amongst Bill's Mafia. Who do you vote for? Who do you root for? Who do you want to win? And I threw a poll out there on Twitter. Received almost a 1,000 votes. And I said, Bill's Mafia, who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? Kansas City Chiefs, the Tampa Bay Bucks, and no idea, maybe neither. And as you can guess, no idea, maybe neither, got the most votes with 46% of the votes. But it was very close between the Chiefs and the Bucks. 
the Chiefs edged out the Bucks, thirty percent to twenty four percent. And uh, I got to be honest, the more I think about it, and recency bias plays in to a lot of this, but I think I'm going to root for the Bucks. Now, hear me out before you chastise me for rooting for a team that has Tom Brady on it. Um, reasoning behind this is personally, um, I'm just that, I guess, resentful as far as what happened in the AFC Championship game versus uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. I thought that the Chiefs were a lot dirtier than I thought that they would be of a team, especially a team that was blowing out the Buffalo Bills for most of it. Um, there was the chippiness between uh, the defensive tackle, Chris Jones, and uh, him punching John Feliciano. Then obviously there was Okafor and the late hit on Josh Allen, which ended up you know, causing a, a scuffle. Uh, on the field and then a little bit on the sidelines. And then, you know, there was that body slam that that one player, that one defensive back had on Stefan Diggs that drew a penalty. Um, I thought that that was a little ridiculous, um, overdone. Um, it was just the Chiefs fans are, <laughs> are pretty annoying too on Twitter. So I'll, I'll say that. And if I really think about it, so the, the only reason to really not like the box is I have no problem with the franchise in general. I like Bruce Arians as a head coach. Um, I think he's really cool. Actually. I think he's brought a lot to the game, uh, from a passing offense. And, um, I don't hate Tom Brady as much as I used to. He's not on the Patriots anymore. And if you really think about it, I mean, what did Tom Brady really do to the Buffalo bills, except beat them, except beat them all the time. Because the Bills were a pretty bad team for most of the last 20 years. I mean, it wasn't like he did anything specifically bad to them. Um, I could argue that Gronkowski being on the box is actually more egregious because of that dirty, cheap shot he took on Tredavious White a, a couple of years back. So um, I think it's even more of a reason not to like the box based on not liking Rob Gronkowski. But I think in this instance, I'm going to root for the box. Uh, over the Chiefs, it's not, I don't feel good about it. I feel a little dirty <laughs> rooting for them, but, uh, that's just where I stand on it. If you guys have any thoughts on that or comments about it, hit us up on Twitter at CTWPod, um, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And, uh, the next week, like I said, we're going to take a week off, but the week after that, we're getting some guests together. We're getting some other former players on, some cool guests in the media we're putting together. Um, I want to discuss uh, Brandon Bean's comments about wanting to re-sign Matt Milano but not being able to or, or letting him test free agency, which is does not sound very good if you if you are a fan of Matt Milano like we are. Um, and so we're going to do this. But what I need from you guys, I'm going to need some help from you over the next few weeks. The first thing I need is we're going to do an episode about that kind of goes into the same theme as our post game recap podcast. So the post game recap, we go over wall of famers, wall of shamers, uh, Gettysburg of the game, which is basically the, the play of the game that changes the tide for the Buffalo Bills one way or another. Um, we talk about sweet sassy molassy plays of the game and stuff like that. I need help from you guys. I need you guys to email me in your thoughts. I need you guys to tweet me your thoughts, DM me, message me. Um, I want to know who is your wall of fame player or coach or anything in particular of the Buffalo Bills in the 2020 season. 
and it has to be besides Josh Allen. You can't just say Josh Allen. That's too easy. I think we would all put Josh Allen on our wall of fame. It has to be something more creative than that. And then also on your wall of shame, who or what was the most disappointing part of the 2020 season and postseason? And then the Gettysburg, I'm thinking, is the most improved player or coaching decision or something like that for the 2020 season. A player or some sort of style that really turned the tide for the Buffalo Bills in 2020 season. And if you have a sweet, sassy, molassy play of the game or uh, something to that effect where it's a certain play that you remember really well, it could be the Taron Johnson taint in uh, against the Ravens or, or anything of that effect. One play that defined the Buffalo Bills season, in your opinion. So help me out with that. Email me over the next couple of weeks. Uh, tweet it, tweet us, DM us, message us over Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and let us know. Also, I know Matt Warren does a great job with the Rumblings Q&A. And if you ever have like scheme questions or you know, something that's a little bit deeper, you should definitely ask him for that. We are not the schematics like, why should Quinn Jefferson be a three technique instead of a five technique defensive tackle? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I got to be 100% honest. I don't know why. But if you have any questions in general for us that you wouldn't put on Matt's Q&A podcast, uh, feel free to hit us up. I know that I've been talking with some of you guys that live overseas. You've probably never been to a Bill's tailgate before. Feel free to ask us what that's like. What's it like to have season tickets? What's it like to go to a Bills tailgate? Uh, anything, anything. What's it like to go to training camp? We live, you know, just like 10, 15 minutes away from training camp. Ask us that. Um, anything you want to, uh, if you want to ask us personal questions about how did we meet? How did the guys and us, uh, just feel free. We'll give you our thoughts and opinions. The best questions will be read on future podcasts. Again, I'd like to thank John Davis for coming on the podcast to talk anything and everything Buffalo Bills Super Bowl era. Super cool guy. Follow him on Twitter at John Davis underscore 65. And for me, Nate, go Bills. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. Hey, hey. Who you repping? What's your team? Who you repping? What's your team? You know I'm repping for my team. I got that challenge on my team. Like a high Jordan boy, can you catch it? Can you? Trade day is like a mask, you're not catching anything. Matt Milano making plays, we not scared of any team. Best in the AFC. All the praise of Brandon Bean. You hear Sean McDermott clapping while I'm snapping? Do you? Jerry Hughes will get the sack soon as you snap it. Yeah. Andre Roberts running back, ain't no such backing. Mafia, we on a ride and we got traction. We got BZ, we got digs. Uh, Act McKenzie, make you miss. Dawson Knox with the stiff arm. Treat opponents just like his. Feliciano, Deion Dawkins, block defenders like the fence. Hey. It's the mafia, I said no one on top of us I said no one is blocking us on top of our division So it's clear that it's no stopping us Google best team in the league and we popping up Hey, Who you reppin', what's your team? Who you reppin', what's your team? You know I'm reppin' for my team I got a salad on my team It's the mafia, you know I'm rockin' with the Bills It's the mafia, you know I'm rockin' with the Bills It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Hey, it's the mafia. I said no one on top of us. I said no one is blocking us on top of our division. So it's clear that it's no stopping us. Google best team in the league, and we pop it up. Home game for the playoffs, but you already know Gabe Davis is a rookie, but he plays.
playing like a pro. Uh, going through a table, only time we ever fold. Can you dig it? 17, by to take us to the bowl. Hey, uh, don't you run it? No. Oliver and Trey Edmonds gonna be on it. On it. We got Corey, but we barely ever punt it. Cause we just running up the score on our opponent. We got Beasley, we got Diggs. Single Terry, by the juke him out of shoes. Make a miss, run it in. Zach also throw the digs. It's for sick. Terry Johnson, pick six to the house. Take a flick. Hey, it's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the Bills. Hey, who you repping? What's your team? Who you repping? What's your team? You know I'm repping for my team. I got Josh Allen on my team. It's that Diggs on my team. Super Bowl, what you mean? Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs>